1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And One of the ways we do that is by bringing you service providers, softwares, consultants that can help make your game better. And it was really a great email that I got from my friend, Bobby Schmidt, that used to work at a different company in another life than he and I hit it off. Then he had moved to Foley Services and said, David, I was just talking to the guys from East Coast Risk Management and they recommended that I talk to you, which was ironic because I had just met the guys from East Coast Risk Management because I was the keynote at Keystone's uh, emerging leaders or sales strategies rather in new orleans this year. So it, that all happened really really quickly when we got to connect and I said, "Look, man, I said you can talk to me all you want, but I'm only one. You let's let's get whoever you want from your company on the podcast. Let's let them talk about what you guys are doing, the problems you're solving that can help property and casualty agents in arguably the hardest market I've ever seen in my career." And so that's how we got to where we're at today. I am joined by Scott Mogensen, who has recently been promoted to the head of Solutions Enablement, as well as Joel Cetak, the CEO of Foley Services. So, Joel, I'm going to start with you. How did you how did you get to your role that you're at with Foley? What's your background history? What led you to be where you're at today?
2: Yeah, uh, thanks, David. Uh, I've been with Foley 10 years now, and uh, we're a private equity uh, financed uh, business. And so our private equity sponsors acquired the business around 10 years ago. And over that time, uh, we saw a terrific opportunity to help our customers uh, solve two key problems. Uh, the first being to hire you know great drivers, and, and the second is to Uh, help them uh, mitigate risk through monitoring solutions. And so we've been on that path to develop software and services to help our customers solve those problems over the past uh,
3: 10 years.
1: Scott, what about you, man? Congratulations on your recent promotion.
3: Oh, thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, I joined Foley uh, about 18 years ago now. And uh, over that time, have uh, held a number of positions of working with our customers through our operations area delivering some of the services that uh, we bring to help solve those challenges joel just mentioned you know hiring uh great drivers fast and uh helping safety managers comply with ever-changing dot regulations so whether that be you know qualifying drivers working with their drug testing programs or adopting new technologies uh really been, Uh, working uh, directly with those customers and our internal partners to try to just ever uh, improve that process for our customers.
1: I think that there are a lot of people in my role or in one of my roles, anyhow, as producers that think they want to go out and they want to write trucking and transportation insurance because there's a lot of premium that's involved. And one of the best pieces pieces of advice, and I say trucking and transportation, I don't limit that to just over the road trucking and things like that. It could be local delivery, last mile delivery, or I mean, shoot, man, we've got landscape companies that have massive fleets of vehicles down here Mm -hmm. as well. It's all anything that's moving people across the road. And they see the dollar signs there and then they go out and it's the same shtick over and over and over again. Let me quote it. See, can I get you a better rate? Well, guess what? That doesn't play in a hard market, right? It might, it might play to get you the audience but it's not necessarily going to play to get deals done. You have to have more. And that's one of the reasons why when I launched Florida Risk, we operate, I made the decision we are going to operate solely off of a total cost of risk model so that we can go in and articulate places where money's leaving the financials of these organizations we're meeting with that they don't even realize is leaving. They know it's leaving, but they don't know where it's going or why. And so many times we focus on leading with the experience modification factor and workers' compensation because there's so much publicly available data there. Transportation and trucking is not incredibly different because Mm. you do have the ability to go to safer. You do have the ability to pull cab reports and all of that other stuff. But just because you have that information doesn't mean you have all of the tools you need to drive the change necessary to, A, convince an underwriter that they even need to take the chance to write insurance for a company, and B, actually deliver on those results. So when I was talking with Bobby, that's one of the things that really intrigued me because I actually own Florida Trucking Insurance in addition to it is one of our brands here at Florida Risk. And so I'm interested, like, how are you? I don't want the secret sauce, but I mean, there's a lot of issues that, that exist in accounts like this. What are you guys doing to, to help agents? You know, number one, make sure they're delivering great results for their clients. But also I see you guys as a huge ally in the new business generation process. If I know I have a tool in my back pocket that's gonna fix what we find is wrong, or in many cases, can even help identify what's wrong, I'm I'm all ears, man. I, I want to talk to whoever it is that's gonna make my
3: life easier. Absolutely, uh, Julie, you Want me to start on that? Yeah, one? you start
2: off, Scott, and I'll I'll add in.
3: Yeah, so I, I think you know there's a couple of points, and and you raised uh, a really good point there, David, where there's some well-known tools that are out there for carriers to be able to see uh, information related to their their safety and their their compliance information. Um, but you know, in terms of actually convincing an underwriter that you have something that um, is a really uh, in-tune and comprehensive safety program, um, you need to take one step beyond just isolated screens or uh, a, a process that is non-systematic in terms of looking at managing your, your company's risk. So you know when it comes to being a motor carrier, um, what you really need to do is think about incorporating all of these different tools and screening types and data sources into a single unified program where you have a consistent process with a, a business intelligence and alerting uh, mechanism that helps you really monitor your existing drivers and your screening programs. So, you know, it's not a matter of just isolated screenings. It's not a matter of looking at a cab report every now and again. It's not a matter of periodically looking at your CSA scores, but actually having a process with, with rigor um, that's digital that allows a safety manager to be empowered to see what's going on and react to situations that are brought to them by alerting. So when it comes to Foley, you know, that's really what we're helping our customers do is take these isolated processes that are non-standardized and usually uh, in a lot of carriers cases, um, very paper-based and bring them into a digital uh, single platform where they can operate more effectively both in the screening process and have more robust screening programs, and uh, also on the monitoring process, and really go one step beyond what the the minimum compliance standards would be, but really drive towards trying to have the best safety program possible by incorporating things that are above the minimum threshold. So, you know, when you're hiring a driver, for example, you know, making sure the PSPs, the CDLISs are run, making sure that your post-hire programs incorporate monitoring. So things like you know, license monitoring, MBR monitoring you know, running programs that are above a minimum threshold if you're required to have a drug testing program. So we work with customers uh, and try to drive home the uh, the way you can do that effectively, efficiently, and really prove to uh, an underwriter, for example, that you have a safety program that's not just there because you're trying to just check a box, but rather you're actually putting in place something that is driving safety, is reducing risk and incidents and therefore, um, you know, is worthy of being considered uh, a real safety tool.
1: Now, I'm not going to have two trucks and hire Foley services to come in and deliver that kind of experience. In most cases, there may be people who do, but we're talking about companies that have a a decent size and shape to them. Who's your ideal client when you guys, and when y'all engage with somebody, who are you looking for that you're like, you know what? If I could draw a picture and put the demographics down, this is exactly where we're going to fit the
2: best. That's a great question, uh, David. And and we work with very small customers through Fortune 500 businesses. Uh, so often it'll be an owner operator that will help on some of these issues because they're they're probably the toughest to insure. It's a really difficult market for an owner operator to get insurance. Um, but we have roughly 40,000 customers that span from that owner operator up to Fortune 500 companies. But as, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of our customers are not your traditional transportation companies. They might be a utility. They could be a landscaper. Uh, home health care is another great example. Um, hmm. you know, thir- 30% of employees of workers in the United States drive on behalf of their business at to some level. It could be a salesperson going out on a sales call, it could be a service technician, but it's a it's a really large market. And you know what we're trying to do is equip our customers with better information and monitoring as 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 Scott had mentioned, uh, before that information gets to the insurance carrier or the underwriter to uh, evaluate the the premium. And getting ahead of those issues is is where a company can really save money on their insurance premium. And I think as a salesperson, that's uh, where we can credibly help an insurance agent go in and help uh, reduce the actual cost because we're going to give them real time monitoring on their drivers. You know, a great example the old way of assessing driver risk used to be to run an MVR, a motor vehicle record, when you hired a driver, and maybe you did that every year. You know, the new way to do it is to monitor that driver real time. So if that driver gets pulled over for a DUI, you know that immediately. If their license is suspended, you know, the most common reason for a license suspension is failure to play child support. But now you have a driver who's Mm -hmm. operating on a suspended license. That's not a great risk. You would rather know that, take action on it immediately and show that to the underwriter that you're really serious about managing this risk down. That's going to reflect in better premium for uh, for your customer. And, and there's many other ways to do that beyond uh, you know just uh, motor vehicle records. It could be you know all these different monitoring tools. You know Scott had mentioned for commercial drivers, every time they get pulled over and go through a safety inspection, we can let our customer know whether that was a good inspection. They can reward the driver or where they need to train that driver. Uh, there's criminal monitoring that can happen, social media monitoring. It just depends upon what the situation is that uh, your customer can uh, reduce risk, get ahead of these issues before they get to underwriting such that they can uh, uh, really show the underwriter they're serious about reducing this risk and that it, it shows results.
4: Now, so how, how does the monitoring work from the customer's perspective? Let's use the MVR, for example, right? Like somebody gets pulled over or they do get a DUI or their license is suspended. Is it something where it's being run every month, every week, every day? Do they get a notification? Like what's that look like from the user side?
2: No, great question. So from the user side, um, we're working with all states and licensing authorities. And anytime there's a change to the license that gets updated at the uh, RMV or DMV, uh, we get notified and we immediately notify the customer that there's been an issue on this driver's license and we pull the MVR. So it's it's real-time monitoring. As soon as that data is updated at the state level, mm-hmm. we, get, we get a notification of that and uh, we pull that motor vehicle record to see what that update uh, issue is on the license so that we can notify the customer immediately of that issue. And if you think about it, you know, if a driver, if you run an MVR today, and the driver has a DUI tomorrow. You don't know about it until you run it again. We're going to know immediately yeah. about that. You can take action, pull that driver off the road. Could be a speeding ticket, could be a seatbelt violation. You know, whatever the issue is, um, you can take action on it. And and by getting ahead of that, that looks your underwriters are going to look favorably upon that uh, that situation.
1: I think it's interesting to hear how all the technologies affecting transportation now. Because I can remember back in the old days when if you wanted to figure out how somebody was breaking the rules, you had to find out where their secret second set of logs were from where right, they yeah, were yeah, going. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're bringing the walls in a little bit, uh, you know, slowly, but surely and, and making people operate more above board than what I've seen in the past, you know,
2: well, there, and and, there's, two, there's two benefits to that, David, which I would I highlight. One, one is you're going to find problems before the, uh, you know, the underwriters do. The other uh, issue, or the other benefit of this, I should say, and, and we saw this in the regulated drug testing market for commercial drivers. When employees know they're being monitored, they behave better. And so, if you have a random drug testing program, the statistics uh, show that commercial drivers have a lower positive test rate than non-drivers because they know they're going to be random tested, so they act better. Mm-hmm. And, and we think that that also, you know, if your employee populations know that the motor vehicle record is being monitored, then they're going to behave better, uh, as well.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what we actually, I talked about this on a, um, Oh, believe it or not, it was with the the group drive that I had mentioned earlier. I was on a call with their executive team last week or the week before. And I told them, the exact opposite story. Now it's different when it's not constantly in your face, but to give you an example, we put the snapshot thing from progressive when it first came out into the car where it would plug into that Mm -hmm. special port. Not every car had it. Now, most of them are going to a mobile app based system. Anyhow, but I can remember very clearly, you know, I'd be driving and the light would be getting ready to turn yellow. And I had a decision to make. I needed a brake to stop for the red light, or I needed to hit the gas and get through it. What I found was if I hard broke to not go through the red light, I got dinged on, on my progressive score more than I would have if I'd have floored it and ran a red light. You know, it, it's just, it's crazy. Now, I understand technology has changed a lot since then. But I did have a question, there a couple of questions number 1 and I feel like this was this is one that comes up any time drug testing and drug policies come up and that is the continued expansion of both medical and recreational marijuana. How do how do companies navigate that in transportation especially if you have an employee that has a prescription from their doctor that they need that? Yeah, that- uh,
3: that's Scott, a great question
2: I could, I'll let you handle it.
3: <laughs> yep absolutely. Um, yeah, so definitely uh, marijuana laws, uh, legalization or decriminalization uh, when it comes to states uh, either passing um, recreation or medicinal use. Um, you know that's that's a tricky topic for employers around the country in any industry. Thankfully, at least in the uh, segments of the transportation industry that are uh, regulated, by uh, federal drug testing rules, uh, that is a little bit clearer. So uh, um, legally speaking, marijuana is still a Schedule I drug. So for anyone who is a CDL driver um, or is subject to DOT regulations that require them to be in a DOT drug testing program, marijuana uh, is still going to be something that is uh, going to cause someone to test positive and they're going to have to be removed from safety sensitive function. So that's, that's pretty clean and clear. Um, so for a CDL driver, it, it's gonna be simpler if they're running through a DOT drug testing program. Now for those drivers that are not driving uh, a vehicle above 26,001 pounds gross vehicle weight rating, 16 or passengers, or meeting that standard um, where they're needing to be in a, a federal drug testing program, it's going to be a lot murkier because you're going to have to look at the state laws related to where they're operating you're going to have to craft a policy which both uh, meets what the the state uh, uh, allowances are for testing for uh, marijuana which are are changing and um, you have to stay abreast of so some states are going to actually restrict uh, the ability to put thc on your drug testing panel Some states are going to allow you to test for them according to state law, but you might be restricted in terms of taking action against that that applicant or that employee if they are found to have um, THC in their their test. And then there are others that might have employee protections uh, that may restrict you from taking action when it's just use versus impairment. So these are tricky waters and there's no real simple solution other than you have to equip yourself um, if you're running the program with the right set of resources to work with to try to you know navigate these waters. Because if you operate in multiple states, if you're, you have different classes of employees, you're really going to have to tailor your program to make sure that um, you're prepared for uh, whatever the current situation is and you're keeping an eye on what the future changes are. So that's something that you know we work with our customers on and, and we try to help them uh, you know, stay in tune with what what their program needs to be. Um, you know definitely uh, you want to make sure you're you have uh, legal resources you know our our uh, legal team here at Foley gets involved in helping customers there, and uh, you know really, you just want to make sure that you're you're staying in tune with what uh, is changing in the industry so that you know you don't fall on the wrong side of uh, these regulatory changes
4: I think like what I think about with all that is the the difference from like if 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 when it comes to alcohol, right? Like if mm-hmm. I go to happy hour and I slug four old fashions and I get pulled over mm-hmm. on the way home, it's pretty cut and dry. Like you blew a point mm-hmm. three, you're mm-hmm. drunk. Like you you know, like that's against the law. But I mean, if you get drug tested mm-hmm. randomly, let's even just say randomly and it yep. shows up, I could I could have smoked a bowl three days ago, not yep. high. Mm-hmm. But I'm just driving, and it's going to pick, or or a month ago, whatever, and yep. it picks up in my system. And I think it especially gets a little bit muddy when you get into the um to the medical use, because then it's like how do you how do you regulate that?
3: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a tricky situation for employers, and that's where you know you need to have a well written policy that kind of you know eliminates the gray area there as much as possible, and and gets into that. There is emerging technology um, to try to address employers challenges in determining whether someone's impaired or they just used a while back. So, you know, you see, you know, breath alcohol or breath marijuana tests being deployed now to start Mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, You also see states passing laws like a couple that are going to go into effect later this year, uh, or actually January 1st of 2024 in California and Washington, which are really narrowing down what a laboratory can uh, confirm as a positive to just THC, the metabolite, the psychoactive metabolite in marijuana and not broadly speaking cannabinoids. So you know, protecting people who might be using things like CBD or hemp where the, the THC has been removed. And that's going to cause a lot of companies who are not testing for federal purposes, but rather have a drug-free workplace to you know, need to switch to something like uh, a testing methodology that can singularly confirm for THC. So, you know, that's something like an oral fluid test versus what was more commonly done, which was urine in the past. So, you know, staying abreast of these changes and, and really looking at what's allowable and and shaping your program to meet what the challenges of today are rather than just saying, hey, we put a drug testing program in place 10 years ago. It's probably fine, it's probably still serving its purpose. I don't have to pay attention to it. You know, that's that's not really gonna help as as the environment is changing and the the transportation industry gets harder you need to really look at it with fresh eyes and say, you know, what can I do today to solve today's problems? And, you know, that's where, where we like to come in and help with our customers.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, just like technology's changed transportation, it's it's changed testing too. It's crazy Mm -hmm. to think how far that this, this drug testing and stuff has come over time. And I mean, I can remember back going back a little ways anyhow, when I was in retail, if somebody came in to to get a job, we drug tested everybody. It might be a week before you got results back, at which time that person's already gone somewhere else. Now we're in a situation where you're in a lot of these focused occupations, whether it be over the road trucking or trade contractors, things that are skilled, where there's a huge depletion in the labor pool because people aren't going to school to learn how to be plumbers or HVAC technicians or anything or things like that anymore. So when you do have applicants come in, getting them through a process quickly and accurately is paramount. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know that the truckers expect it specifically because my goodness, man, if you don't call them back in five minutes from when they originally fill out a quote form on your website, they've already gone three other places to get quotes. You have to be quick and efficient. Talk about that a little bit, because I've got to imagine with the changes in technology that y'all have made it a little bit quicker to get from beginning to end point in the hiring process for people who have these programs implemented.
2: Yeah, no no question. Speed is everything when you're recruiting uh, drivers, because to your point, uh, David, they've applied to 10 different jobs. And if they're applying to your job as a driver, you got to get to them with under five minutes and and try to capture that uh, candidate. And the drug testing turnaround time is paramount. So, you know, for example, in our processes, pre-employment drug tests take a priority over everything to get that result back. And we want to get that result back in under two days. If it's a regulated DOT job, it has to go to the lab for assessment. Now, the DOT has just made some changes that they'll be accepting oral fluid testing as a a method. It still has to go to the lab, but it'll take some time out of that process. But our goal is to get those tests turned around in under two days for a pre-employment drug test that has to go to the lab and get the result back. But electronic chain of custody forms helps in that process. Delivering the results back to the employer electronically uh, helps in that process so that they can get that information back immediately. And drug test is the longest pull in the tent. Uh, Criminal investigations, MVR records, safety records, uh, did they hold a commercial driver's license in another state? All of that information can typically be turned around in less than a day. It's the drug test that's going to take up to two days to turn around. But that doesn't mean you can, you can, you know, typically you can give that person a, a conditional offer of employment prior to that drug test coming in, pending on the drug test. And so you can use that to, you know, lock that candidate down.
1: Absolutely. What else is going on at Foley? Go ahead, Scott. I, I, I want to hear, like, I've, I've got a limited number of things I wanted to ask you guys, but I want to make sure we get everything out that, that you want everybody to know. So, so go ahead.
3: Yeah, no, I think I was just gonna add on to what Joel was saying because uh, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, when you're competing for those those drivers, especially, you know, you wanna create a process by which, you know, you're getting somebody in from the point of initial application through the screening process where they can be, you know, put on the road and hired, you know, as quickly as possible. And it's a competitive advantage for a company to have you know, a a software platform that can help them do that. So, you know, Joel hit on some of the the screening items we've done. And I, you know, one of the things um, to kind of add in there that I I know uh, we're all pretty excited about on our end is, you know, a feature we just rolled out where we call it apply by license, where, you know, an applicant can actually uh, just snap a picture of their driver's license and, you know, through um, some of the uh, OCR technology we've built into our platform it can glean the information from that license, save time in the application process, and get the driver to a, a further state of, of uh, completing their application so they don't have to key a lot of information in, and you get higher rates of drivers completing applications, finishing the process, and then you get a leg up on your, your screening and getting that started faster than maybe um, applications they put into other companies. So. Um, that's another way where, you know, if you can get that driver filling out his application quicker, you can start the screening process faster, get the driver uh, hired into your program uh, sooner. So yeah, that, um, that's like, that's I like
4: that. I mean, th- th- how many times I get people trying to add drivers or want to know what their NVR looks like, where they just send me a, either a text of the person's driver's license or an email. So that's, yep. um, that's a nice, that's a nice feature. Yeah, definitely.
1: OCR is definitely doing a lot of stuff to change how business is done. I mean, we're we're at a point now, even in the insurance industry, where my buddy uh, Scott Knowles just started a company called Loss Scan that literally you can take any loss run from any carrier, scan it in, and it'll take that information and push it into a common format. That's a huge deal for us because it used to be that you you might have a piece of business that's been with 10 different carriers over the last five or 10 years across all their lines of coverage. Mm-hmm. You're looking at Chinese to some degree, you know, depending on how the information's portrayed. And I've always thought that it was kind of hypocritical of the insurance industry because we have a standardized format for the applications we're required to give the carrier, but there's zero reciprocity on the back end for the format in which we get the information we need. So it's kind of like if we have to do this, you should have to do this. It would make far more sense to me if that were the case. But, you know, there's been a lot of changes just in how driving happens over the course of the last five years, probably more the last five years, just because of the prevalence of the new last mile delivery, you know, Mm -hmm. that never existed. It's Mm -hmm. crazy to think how many things are in our daily lives now that weren't here five or 10 years ago. And that's a big one. And I, you know, I don't know how much of that kind of company, how many, how many of those types of companies, um, fully works with or helps, but I can tell you they are popping up left and right. And in my experience in conversation, and honestly, one of my, one of my best friends, Chris Paradiso, you guys should know him. He has a huge program for that outside of what Marsh and Aon have. He writes a bunch of it out of, of, of Hartford Connecticut or, uh, He's up in Connecticut. I'm not going to say the wrong name. Uh, Stafford Springs is where Paradisa is from, but massive agency. And they write a ton of that kind of stuff. My experience of of the people that I talked to when it first started becoming a little more prevalent, probably seven, eight years ago, would started popping up. Some of these people have no business opening up any kind of business, let alone a last mile, you know, Amazon delivery business. And you'd get on the phone and you'd ask questions about specific methods for driver recruiting and the criteria that they were looking for and all these things. And it's like crickets, you wouldn't get an answer because they hadn't even contemplated it. They just saw that Amazon was looking for, they saw an opportunity. They wanted to grasp it. It's like, you know, ready, fire, aim. And then all of a sudden here they are. So I've got to believe because of that dynamic over the course of the last several years, you have had the opportunity to engage with companies like that. But you know, what are what are your thoughts there? Is that something that we're going to see happen more yeah. and more?
2: Yeah, there, there's there's that wave happening, whether it's on-demand drivers or local delivery, um, and there's a ton of risk involved in that because you now have somebody going to someone's house. Uh, the risk is is incredible. The other area that's emerging is home healthcare has exploded with the aging population and the pandemic. And you think about the risk of a home healthcare provider where they're driving on behalf of the healthcare company. They're working with vulnerable populations. So they could steal, they could harm the individual. Theft of prescription drugs is a problem in that environment. And all of our solutions, you know, help mitigate that risk, whether it's motor vehicle record monitoring, random drug testing, criminal monitoring uh, is another solution that helps in that environment. Just Reduces all that risk where you could have a home healthcare professional do something bad and there's reputational risk, hurts your insurance premium. So anytime there's driving involved, there's risk. And, and that last mile delivery is, is another example of that, where you're going to want to motor vehicle record monitor those people. You're going to want to have random drug testing, whether it's regulated or not, um, and uh, and get those safety updates on drivers.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of times where you have companies like a home health care company where people would be driving their own vehicles. So technically it's a hired and non owned auto exposure versus insuring your own vehicles. I'm not talking about the larger, well established, but I mean there's
4: a lot of those that are probably my mom used to do that. That's what I was thinking of. I was like, I mean, she was driving her own car. And so yeah, yeah.
1: yeah they're not, I mean. The, the good ones are always going to check underlying limits to make sure that the person's carrying the right limits on their personal policy. And they're going to mm-hmm. they're going to have this stuff set up. But I, I mean, man, I, there's so much home health care out there and it's like everything else. You're going to have the people that are the top of the heap and then you're going to have everybody else. And I know there's a lot of agents that are listening to this podcast right now that are probably thinking through their head. Oh, crap. I've never asked these questions. I just got applications filled out and placed, uh, put them with an underwriter, got terms and bound policies. When in reality, you know, there's a lot more they could be doing for their client. And I think that's one of the things we always try to do a good job of here is beating it into our listeners' heads that you can't just stop with selling a policy. That's the issue with our industry at large. We go in, we focus on selling policies instead of focusing on selling problems. When in reality, if you focus on solving the problems, you're going to sell more policies because you're going to get a better result from underwriting. You're going to have a better understanding of the business. And this is a great example of that. Auto market is not going to soften anytime soon, guys. Like it's only spreading out. It's been bad here for a little while. We caught it from Miami, but now we've given it to Atlanta and several (laughs) other places (laughs) but i mean it's 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 everywhere for all practical purposes
2: it it's a definitely a hard market and and our the value we can bring in and helping an insurance producer is really tangibly um, reducing risk and delivering that to underwriting, so you'll ultimately get a lower premium or not have premiums go up as high as they might, uh, you know in, in other circumstances. because we can prove that we're going to monitor drivers, We're going to take action on drivers when bad things happen. Uh, you know, our whole business is focused on two things. The first is helping uh, our employers find great drivers and so getting rid of the bad ones quickly. Uh, And that's why Scott had mentioned through our apply for a job by photographing your license, it's every driver has a mobile phone in their pocket, right? They can apply Mm -hmm. for a job like depositing a check and we can run an MVR instantly on that driver to give the employer visibility that this is a good candidate to pursue uh, or don't waste your time on them. You know, conversely, once they hire them, we're going to monitor all of their behavior so that they can take action uh, on this bad behavior before it costs them, because to your point, David, it's always the bottom of the stack that uh, creates the problems, and that's where you get all the turnover. so let's let's mitigate the turnover. let's let people know they're being monitored so they behave better, and uh, the net result will be lower premiums, yeah,
1: yeah, I The other thing that I think about, though, where I think you guys make a big impact, and it has, again, it has to do with our our industry and and how we're transitioning, you're seeing a lot more behavioral-based driving rates, right? So rating is no longer just send us a list of your drivers, we're going to run everything through and let our actuarial data tell us what we should charge you. We have, there are companies out there now that depending on that person's driver score that they get, they get a more favorable rate than someone else who does the exact same job. So, inst- I, you know, it's still too new to un- to see whether they're just taking what was ultimately a blended rate and unbundling it. And now you're just seeing what you're actually paying per driver. And if they were to push it all back together, would the rates be where they were? That's not what that's not what I understand it to be. I understand it to be that you're going to pay in and then we're going to bill you in arrears based on the mileage that's driven by each individual driver who has their own rate on the deck page and it may not be on a deck page or by endorsements. So I'm not going to get caught up in the semantics there. But now if I've got a driver that's paying, you know, less than 10 cents, uh, you know, we're paying less than 10 cents a mile in rate I have another driver that's $0.30 a mile for rate. And who am I going to have run more loads that are further away and more mileage? I can make an actual business decision based on all of this data. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things that always impresses me about the different technology advancements is business, honestly, people are involved. So it will always have its own nuances that you have to deal with. But when you have data points that you can manage that business from effectively, it's not really that hard to make decisions because the decisions aren't emotional. It's based off of what the data tells you in, look, I've read Freakonomics in in the subsequent versions of, of that, that they put out. I get that you can make data tell you what you want it to tell you by how you arrange it, but it's becoming more and more difficult to change the narrative in our industry because we're just getting more points that are, like I said, it's like a trash compactor. At some point, you know, the all four walls are going to close
2: in. Yeah, n- no question. In in many cases, it's getting access to that data faster, such that you can take action on it before it becomes a problem in the underwriting process. And I think that's uh, invaluable to uh, to employers that they can know when they have a bad actor faster, take care of that situation before it perpetuates.
3: Yeah, and I think the the point I would even add on that is that. As technology continues to march forward, the access to that data um, from enforcement, uh, from the enforcement side of it, is going to only increase the risk and the importance of uh, being aware of what your driver's safety data is and what your company's safety profile is. So, for example, you know inspection selection scores related to you know which carriers get stopped for roadside inspections have been around for a while. So going through a, you know a, a checkpoint a way station you know and a regulator an enforcement agent can basically run that carrier's um, DOT number and see what their their score is and make a decision around whether their safety profile would trigger uh, an inspection. Well there's current proposed rulemaking working its way through the rulemaking process to potentially go the route of having each vehicle have a unique identifier that can be scanned, as the vehicle uh, passes through so the enforcement official doesn't have to actually key that in in search which is going to you know better allow them to target inspections to carriers that have bad safety scores so getting ahead of that and the significance of of being aware of what your company's safety profile is in order to reduce the risk of roadside inspections and out of service uh, cases which may interrupt your deliveries um, is only going to grow over time as technology continues to get adopted um at a at a you know faster clip. So um staying ahead of that with these monitoring services and having access to good data so you can manage um, your safety program is has never been more important than it is today.
1: Agreed. We've been going for about 45 minutes. I want to be respectful of y'all's time. What have we missed? What what do you want to get out that we haven't talked about that we can make sure everybody understands? Number one, and then number two how do they find you? I mean, I know we can send them to fully services.com. Um, for those of you listening, when you're ready to reach out to these guys, we will actually, they'll have a landing page they'll, they have set up, um, for people to go to. We will have that URL in the show notes when the episode comes out, but what, what are your parting remarks? What are the, what's the, what are the things you want to leave them with before we wrap this thing up?
2: I would say, you know, when we try to think about our customer, we solve two key problems for them, which is we help them hire great drivers quickly. That could be a regulated driver or it could be somebody driving like a salesperson. And then secondly, we're going to you know monitor, uh, which is the new way of doing things such that risk doesn't build. And that, uh, you know, you're not surprised by higher insurance premiums and, and can be surprised on the positive side of having insurance premiums lower in this really difficult market. And so our software and tools are, are dedicated to those two things, which, uh, you know, really can add value to your customers and differentiate you as a salesperson selling insurance premiums, that this is tangible uh, results, uh, in lowering risk, uh, which should yield lower premiums uh, for your customers.
1: Yeah. And I would think yeah. the other thing too, though, is, um, there's gotta be a level of impact on out of service times and stuff like that too. I mean, again, yeah. if I'm going to go in and consult with a client, I'm not just going to talk to them about the insurance premium. That's what all my comp- competition's going to talk to them about. How much does it cost when your truck can't be on the road for a certain period of time, or when yeah. you, when you don't pass DOT compliance, and they shut your whole operation down for a week until you can try and figure out how to get things right or longer. And I've seen that happen. that's I mean, I've heard all kinds of stories from my friends that are Keystone agents that have used East Coast risk to go in and help them with some of that stuff. And that's one yeah. of the things that I would caution everybody listening uh, about is, you know, it's it's never what's right in front of you that you're angled to get in front of the prospect and drive drive change. Anybody else can go in there and quote them and get them insurance premiums, but think about how having these processes and procedures in place impact other areas of their business that could cause a financial loss if they're not operating the way that they should. So, you know, I think I think there's so many different things that can be impacted that we need to be thinking past just the insurance piece of this because that's not what's going to differentiate us. And, and I, yeah. I get it. You know, th- Look, having you guys for any kind of a submission, that all becomes a material part of the submission to underwriting. I want all of your reports in there. There's a lot of agents out there that go out and they write accounts that are dogs. They know they're dogs. They still write them. They try and you know, they try and groom them and polish them up a little bit and submit them to underwriting, but the underwriter knew it was a dog because they've seen it the last 10 years and nobody's had anything other than applications and loss runs. What's going to get their attention? What's going to get their attention is a complete submission with subject matter experts and technology to show that not only is this what's wrong, here's what we're going to do to fix it. and Here are the accountability measures we've put in place to ensure it gets done. What's the problem? Right, there isn't a problem at that point because that's how it should be. But our industry doesn't allow it to be that way because we whore ourselves out to go out and get policies written because that's where we get paid. We don't necessarily get incentive to do, incented to do what's right for the client based on the financial compensation structure for how producers are paid. It's, it's a flaw in our model, period, which is why our agency chooses to work off a service fee with gain share provisions based off KPI for actually reducing the total cost of risk. So when I go in and I save my client $100,000, I don't take a $10,000 haircut. I just got a $10,000 bonus because that's what they're paying me for. I don't want to be beholden to the insurance carrier for my paycheck, I want them to place the policy but I want to bill my client directly for what I do because it's far more valuable than what what I should get as a salesman, right? I can charge $500 an hour without blinking an eye because I'm worth it. But if I have that buried inside of an insurance policy as a percentage of commission, what 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 am I really telling people about how good I am? I'm trying to hide what I make and it, it, is the premium goes up and I'm doing a bad job because I'm making your premium go up because I'm not giving you loss control and monitoring and accountability measures. I get paid more money. How's that equitable to the client?
4: Take him to church, DRC. It's completely true.
2: I mean, uh, the higher the premium, the more commission is earned in the process, you know, I think our solutions really help client retention because you're going to keep that client. They're not going to keep shopping around and find different uh, different insurance agencies to work with. Agents are greedy,
1: man. Agents are greedy and cheap. They don't want to invest in the resources for the client, right? And most right. clients feel like, well, I'm already paying you all this money for insurance. What are you trying to throw this bill on me for? That's the dance that happens on the, on behind the scenes. Right, right. Do a service fee, build it into your billing, and they never know the difference. You disclose it in your billing, but this is part of working with us. It doesn't become a negotiable option at that point.
2: Right. No, it's a good point.
1: All right, fellas. Well, we got ten minutes. Uh, 10 minutes until we've been going for roughly an hour. Probably a good time to wrap this thing up. I don't really have anything else that I can can um, think of off the top of my head. This has actually been really good discussion. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of good feedback on this episode. Mm -hmm. I like what you guys are doing. People, Foley Services, check the show notes. I will have the link to their landing page in there. And um, my guy, Bobby Schmidt, that reached out to me originally to set all of this up is going to have that set up. So I'm sure that is going to look snazzy and have all kinds of information on there for you to check out. Just in full disclosure, just as I always do, I do not get paid to promote Foley services. I do not have an affiliate marketing relationship with them. We bring people on that we know, like, and trust, products that we know, like, and trust, and that we use in our agency. And although we have not yet used Foley, I can assure you that we probably will moving in the very near future because we have trucking risks coming in day after day after day, not to mention all of the other transportation stuff. So, guys, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Scott and Joel, for joining us. And we look forward to uh, seeing just how many PNC agents reach out and took this, P- this podcast seriously, because I hope they definitely should have.
2: Thanks for having us, David. We appreciate it. And yeah, definitely Absolutely. thank you very much. Cool.
1: Everybody else, we'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast.